Good morning. Uh, two readings today. The first reading is from Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 to 11. Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of the others. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who, being in the very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And our second reading is from 1 John, chapter 5, verses 1 to 12. <clears throat> Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God, and everyone who loves the Father loves his child as well. This is how we know that we love the children of God, by loving God and carrying out his commands. In fact, this is love for God, to keep his commands. And his commands are not burdensome, for everyone born of God overcomes the world. This is the victory that has overcome the world, even our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world? Only the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. This is the one who came by water and blood, Jesus Christ. He did not come by water only, but by water and blood. And it is the Spirit who testifies, because the Spirit is the truth. For there are three that testify, the Spirit, the water and the blood. And the three are in agreement. We accept human testimony, but God's testimony is greater because it is the testimony of God, which he has given about his Son. Whoever believes in the Son of God accepts this testimony. Whoever does not believe God has made him out to be a liar, because they have not believed the testimony God has given about his Son. And this is the testimony. God has given us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, Mo. Morning, everyone. It's good to be with you this morning. Um, I don't know whether you've uh, had a look on the news first thing today, but um, 
there's been a, an unexpected uh, aggressive incursion uh, from Hamas, uh, from Gaza, into the mainland of Israel. 5,000 missiles were fired into uh, Israel, uh, over 100 Israelis dead, uh, approaching 1,000 who've been displaced, unaccounted for, or injured. Uh, I'm going to lead us in prayer before we begin, uh, if I may. In the name of the Prince of Peace, would you join me? Father God, we read in your word in Psalm 122 that we're to pray for the peace of Jerusalem. And with grief we hear the news that um, these terrorist aggressors have uh, taken it upon themselves to take life. And Father, we pray that you would have mercy in Israel. Father, please would you bring compassion to those who have been impacted by the loss of life Please, Father, would you bring consolation to those who are living in the fear of this ongoing attack and indeed for those who have been uh, displaced, for those who are unaccounted for, for those who have lost loved ones. Would you, in your mercy, bring the comfort of the gospel? We pray, Father, knowing that the only one who brings true and lasting peace is the Lord Jesus Christ, the Prince of Peace. So we pray in his name that there might be peace in Israel and Jerusalem. And uh, we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, folks, we're moving into our second in the series of All to Jesus. Jesus uh, for everyone. And uh, you may have heard of this notion of the inner circle. I wonder whether you've ever felt like you were on the outer, really keen to be in the inner I wonder whether you've been the sort of person who's been really glad to find yourself in the inner circle and wondering about or perhaps looking out to those on the outer. C.S. Lewis, in his essay, The Inner Ring, observes how in all men's lives at certain periods and in many men's lives at all periods between infancy and extreme old age, one of the most dominant elements is the desire to be inside the local ring and the terror of being left outside. This is a reality for all of us, from cradle to grave. We want to be in the in crowd. We don't want to be excluded. And it all changes depending on seasonal context. You can remember perhaps, or perhaps even you see your little ones in the little crowd in play school, uh, sitting out from the rest of the crowd who are there engaged with their Lego. Or perhaps at school it was to be the student prefect or to be on the sports team or to be in that exclusive club or maybe it was just to be hanging out with the cool kids, maybe in college. Similarly, you wanted to be with the conservative group. I know there's some amongst us. There'd be those who wanted to be with the activists. There were those who just wanted to be left alone and get on with life. And um, at work, you might find the same thing, an aspiration to be in that inner circle of being in the partnership. Perhaps it was to get the promotion or to be part of the executive team who get things done, or maybe you're just the kind of person who wanted to keep their head down and be recognized as being one of those reliable people. It even happens in church, doesn't it? Sometimes you really want to be on the parish council so that you can make a difference. Perhaps you want to be a member of the uh, ministry team. Uh, perhaps you want to be one of those in the inner circle of those discreet dissenters. I know you're there. I think it can happen for pastors too. Sometimes we aspire to be in that elite inner circle of those who have a successful, thriving, growing church. Or maybe those who are in that elite group that somehow make it onto the speaker circuit. 
or maybe one of those who has the ability to keep peace and harmony within the fellowship of the family to such an extent that we might imagine that Jesus will come and say, well done, you did it before time and before I came back to bring lasting peace. See, we all want to be on the inner circle, don't we? The thought of being excluded is just too much. But the challenge of C.S. Lewis's observation here is twofold. One, you and I don't want to be the ones who are on the outside being excluded, right? And the other challenge is this, that if we're on the inner, the very nature of being on the inner is that somebody else has been excluded. That's not the way with the kingdom of God. It's not Jesus' way. Jesus is for everyone. Jesus says, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden. Come to me for my yoke is easy and my burden is light and I will give you rest. The thing about being in Jesus' family by his grace is that he is inclusive in every way. It's not the way of the world which is the way of lose-lose or lose-win. It is the way of win-win because Jesus tells us that he is for everyone and that is utterly radical. So we've considered last week all to Jesus for excellence. This week we consider all to Jesus for everyone. And if there's a big idea this week, it is this. All to Jesus for everyone. My verse to guide us, Philippians chapter 2, verse 4. Each of you should look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. And that by nature is not what we do, is it? So we need God's help. So I'm going to lead us in prayer that God would graciously help us today. Father God, you know our hearts. We know that we need your spiritual heart surgery in us so that we would long to share Jesus with everyone. Help us give back to you in faith to everyone that you've entrusted to share our lives. And we give back to you, Father God, as people saved from sin, knowing forgiveness and having the assurance of a hope and hope eternal. So we pray that you would do this in Jesus' name. Amen. Three points in our talk today. The first one relates to data, and then the second to relate to the scriptures that we've read. Um, you would know by now that I'm a bit of a Star Trek fan, so my first point is data-driven. You, for those of you who know, this is Mr. Data. Uh, he's on the Starship Enterprise, and the thing about Mr. Data is he knows all the facts. Facts are good. You remember last week how we looked at how the instruments in the cockpit of a plane in fog need to be relied upon because they give us the facts. And particularly if we're losing altitude, it's very important to look at the data because the danger is that we might crash into the mountain. And so last week we had a very sobering look at our data, the brutal facts, if you like, looking in hope for the future because Jesus wins and he's on the throne, but being realistic about some of the challenges for us in 2024 that we might press into them and feel the pain, but to do so in prayerful discipline. And uh, you will recall that our Sydney Diocese had a 2020 vision. It was in vogue for a decade to have a 2020 vision. Everybody had one, and God laughed. And he said, 2020 ain't like, laughing, no, ain't like nothing you've seen in your lifetimes. And he had the last word on that, didn't he? But I think the 2020 priorities that we had were pretty good to reach all the lost with the life-giving gospel of Jesus, to deepen our spiritual maturity, 
to equip one another for the exercising of our gifts within fellowship and to respond to the changing face of our society. And you will see <coughs> that as we look at these priorities in the weeks ahead, um, regarding everyone, priorities one and four begin with a graph showing our weekly average service attendance, which has taken place over the last 20 years. If you saw this last week, great, because you know the story. If you didn't, gird yourselves because attendance here at Fig Tree has been steadily dropping for the last 20 years, from over 1,000 to around 450 across our congregations. That's sobering news. It could be depressing if we didn't take into account the other side of the story, which is in God's grace, in 20 years, we have seen many new believers come into faith in Jesus, evidenced amongst us today. Uh, we've also seen a growth in faith as we as a church have willingly and joyfully sent others to be parts of other churches, established new churches, and a good example of that, I think, is the generosity of Fig Tree in regard to the international church, which is now part of a thriving community at Kiraville. We've seen growing ministries amongst our children and our youth, and let's face it, folks, we've just survived a world pandemic. Praise God but we don't sit in survival mode. By God's grace, we look forward to his revival and the hope that he will enable us to thrive for his glory. But when you see a downward trajectory, it's actually part of a cycle of life because for most churches, the reality is that they go on this predictable life cycle. This has been encapsulated in Macintosh's research work in 2009, cited there, and it's sometimes called the Uluru model. You wonder why. Because churches begin and they emerge and they grow and then they consolidate and then they waver and then there's a tipping point at which they either decline and die or something else happens. This is a normal pattern and what is required is a prayerful, spiritually discerned sense of what God is doing amongst us as a fellowship to capture his vision for the future that we might see and kickstart in a decline. And that is what we're hoping to press into together in this season. Because over time, of course, as we discern what the Lord is doing, and He's there already, we will see progressive kickstarts based on what He might choose to do through us and our obedience to Him, walking by faith in wisdom. And so as we think about priority one, I'm going to skirmish through these really quickly. You'll get very familiar with this space. Looking at the, uh, reaching the lost with this life-giving gospel. We looked at the goals last week and this about members willing to, to talk about their faith and those of us who've invited somebody to join us in church in the last 12 months and then also the number of newcomers that we've had. And whilst we've been on a steady decline in those domains, our hope is under God that he will invigorate us and we will be tooled up together to grow in confidence to share our faith and to invite people to church and to see an increase in newcomers. I shared with you last week the raw data about the decline in newcomers, but as I've looked at the data again during the course of the last week, I've actually seen that there's been an uplift if we consider our switches and transfers as well. And the hope is, of course, and, and what I mean by that, sorry, is people coming from outside the area into church and also people who've come from other denominations. 
One of the wonderful things that we look at in priority four, which is responding to the changing face of our society, is seeing an increase in number of members born in non-English speaking countries and the retention of our children. Whilst the data is low, as we would expect, in those who are born in non-English speaking countries, we were seeing an incline into 2016, and during that period between 2016 and 21, whilst there was a decline locally, as I explained, with our international church, we've actually seen an increase in the area. And last week, you will recall that we began, by God's grace, a new Mandarin-speaking fellowship here at Fig Tree, which meets now at one o'clock on site here, and last week in their inaugural meeting had 35 people come and attend for food and fellowship, praise God. And in that community, in this last year, we've seen three people meet Jesus. Praise God, thank you. Yes, cause for celebration. It's wonderful, isn't it, to be a part of what God is doing. And in our retention of our youth and kids, how thankful I am to all of you for contributing to ensure that we have faithful youth leaders like Ruth and Pete, who are such a blessing amongst us and our young people and our youth to see them continue to walk with the Lord Jesus. How thankful I am to God for together how we have brought in Mary Pickford, who right now is galvanizing and growing her team to ensure that our little ones are hearing about the love of the Lord Jesus and being encouraged to share Jesus with their friends. This is really good stuff, brothers and sisters. My hope under God is that we will be on the uptick, and the plan is to take on an annual survey with NCLS so that we can track how we're doing and find ways to improve together year by year. We know the end game because Jesus wins, but we face the facts with discipline, and we're encouraged that God is at work in us, we're encouraged that God is at work through us, and brothers and sisters, we have survived the pandemic. It's now endemic. Just over the last two weeks, quite a few of us have gone down with COVID, right? But in God's kindness, most of us have bounced back. Although please keep praying for some of our older brothers and sisters and some amongst us who are really laboring. Well, where do we go with this? Well, we know the end game. We're grateful to God that he's kept us going, but we press into his word and the truths that he's revealed in the Bible to keep us affirmed in our faith. And one significant biblical truth that we must face together is a substantial lack in each of us, and that is this, recognizing that Jesus is for everyone, because that requires something quite special. The early church father and bishop of Hippo, Augustine, said, if you were to ask me what is the first precept of Christian religion, he went on to say, I would argue that the way, the first part is humility. The second part is humility. And the third part is, say it with me, humility. <sighs> what exactly is humility? Because <laughs> we read about it, didn't we, in our first reading, Chapter 2 of Philippians, verse 3, humility. Is it like modesty? Is it like low self-esteem? Well, humility is not thinking less of yourself. The Bible in Romans 12, 3 says to us, have a sober-minded, have a sensible, realistic view of self. So what's the difference? Modesty means not blowing your own trumpet. 
But that's not entirely inconsistent with humility, but it doesn't seem to encapsulate what humility is in its entirety, does it? Low self-esteem is to think that you're a loser. Well, that's totally different to humility. I think the difference with humility compared to modesty and low self-esteem is that modesty and low self-esteem focus on me, whereas humility isn't focused on me at all. It's not thinking less of yourself, it's thinking of yourself less and focusing on others because that's what we see in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. He is completely other person centered. When we read here about the humility of Jesus, what we see is that Jesus Christ, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his advantage, did not consider equality with God something to grasp hold on, but rather he made himself nothing, coming into the flesh, and by taking on the very nature of a servant, being found in human likeness, and being in appearance as a man, he humbled himself to become obedient to death, even death on a cross for you and me. Actually, as I look at those words, I don't want us to be confused by things like human likeness and being found in appearance as a man, because whilst Jesus is the supreme example of humility, he came from the glory of God in heaven into fleshly brokenness in our world and died a humiliating death for us, he wasn't just human. He didn't just appear to be as a man. For, for Jesus is fully incarnate God and fully flesh of man. He's 100% God and 100% man in the same package. That The scriptures do not allow us to say anything other than this. Look at Hebrews 2, Hebrews 4, Hebrews 9, 2 Corinthians 5, and Romans 5 here, verses 17 to 19, confirmed that just as the one trespass resulted in condemnation for all people, if by the trespass of one man, that is Adam, death reigned through that one man, how much more will those who receive God's abundant provision of grace and of the gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ? Jesus is fully man and fully God, and he made the one perfect sacrifice in our place, humbling himself even to death on a cross. It's good to be a follower of Jesus, isn't it? But Paul's joy does not stop with the Philippians just feeling good about being a follower of Jesus. He expects transformation. He expects to see something in the, the life of the follower of Jesus that reflects the internal change that's taken place, the, the fruit of the gospel as we heard about in Galatians 5 earlier in the year. It's not just about good feelings. Paul's joy is complete when they bear the fruit of humility, reflecting the humility of the Lord Jesus. I think one of the challenges we face today, and maybe we've always faced it, and I just forgot what it was like being a younger man, but we're too into, I think, warm feelings. How does it feel for you? Does it feel good for you? What's happened to our desire for holiness? What's happened to the Spirit's desire for us in godliness. I'm not saying we should detach from our feelings, far from it, but I am wondering if the pendulum's swinging a bit far this way, when perhaps we could be encouraged to swing it a little more this way, 
Because note here what Paul says. He says, therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, any comfort from his love, any common sharing in the Spirit, any tenderness and compassion, and in effect he's saying the motivation here, make my joy complete by being like-minded, have the same love, be one in spirit and of one mind. With whom? Well, he says in verses three to five, I'm sorry I missed this slide, do nothing, at, actually, if you had your Bibles in front of you, you could double check the preacher saying what's in the Bible. It's a dangerous thing, isn't it, when a man puts num- uh, letters on screen. If you've got your Bible in front of you, verses three to five, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, rather in humility value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you having the interests of others in your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Jesus Christ. That is how we exalt Christ, in having his mind in relation to others. Because he was concerned for others. He is the supreme example of humility. And in doing so, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, verses 9 to 11, every knee shall bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God, our Father in heaven. Do you believe those words? He will be exalted. And it's the best story in history. Now, where does the rubber hit the road for us? Thirdly and finally, everyone loves a good story. Do you find when you're really into something, you you share that with others? When you find a good recipe, you want to share that with everyone, right? You you find a good sport, you want to share that. Unless at the moment it's rugby union, in which case you might think twice. But you know, I I hear so much from people about how they love their cycling groups, and I go on and on about Brazilian jiu-jitsu, right? I mean, we have to share your holiday, the things that we love, we share. But isn't it funny how we get a bit nervous about sharing our relationship with Jesus with people? We feel a bit reticent sometimes, I find. Even though our stories are all part of his story. That is what it means to have a testimony. It's based on the Latin word, testis, which is to testify, to share the story. Actually, the Greek word is marturain, from which we get the word martyr. Because if you remember back, what happened to the disciples, as we read in the history books beyond the Bible, is that they all died for their faith and testimony to the Lord Jesus Christ, except John, who got exiled to Patmos. Thank God for that, because we've got the book of Revelation, other stuff going on. But that's what happened. They gave their very lives. And if human testimony is good, then how about the testimony of God himself? This passage is so packed talks about the nature of the Trinity of God, it talks about the testimony in heaven and the testimony on earth, but the point I want to draw out here is that God's testimony is greater as it is his testimony that he has given about his Son. And whoever believes in the Son of God accepts this testimony. We go on to read in verses 11 to 12 that this is the testimony. God has given us eternal life and this life in his Son. Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son does not have life. You know what? There's complexity in life, but this is a simple binary truth, isn't it? If you have the Son, you have life eternal. 
If you do not have the Son, you do not have life eternal. Now let me ask us a question to challenge us. From whom would you withhold that truth of Jesus? Whom would you exclude? Because this is our faith. And our faith is expressed as testimony. Verses 1 to 5 describe how sharing our faith is the way in which we can express love. And sharing the gospel of Jesus as Lord is the most loving thing we can do for anyone. If to love God is to love his children, how can we love his children most? Well, those children that we've never met, to share him, that they might be revealed as his children for his glory. And that is us keeping his command. So the challenge for us is, have, have you got a story, firstly? Have you shared your story? I know that for some of us, some of us are extroverts and we just can't help but talk. Others of us are a little more introverted. But, but let me challenge you, if you've not ever shared the story of your relationship with Jesus and how that came to be, why not write it down? When you get home today, take, take some time and open a journal and start writing. Start with Jesus. And then see how your story fits into his story. It's a great preparation for that conversation when you catch up with a friend and they ask you or you have the boldness to suggest to them that you might introduce them in some way to Jesus who has saved you. That might become an hour over coffee. I've prepared a very short testimony. It goes for 30 seconds. That's just because I used to fly quite a lot and I thought if the plane ever does lose altitude, I'd need to get it out quick and loud. Maybe as an introvert, you find that your conversations with strangers or maybe even familiar folk is hard. So let me challenge you that every story that you have, that we have together, is part of his story. So whether it's a story like this or a story like that, they all honor Jesus. Some years ago, <coughs> I was challenged by somebody who is, is a Gideon. If you don't know the Gideons... Um, they serve the Lord with his word and they give out these little Bibles. Anyone seen one of these? New Testament with Psalms and Proverbs? It's not a full Bible, but it's the word of God. A friend of mine gave me a box of these and, and challenged me to give them out to people that I'd not met before. And I'm a bit of an extrovert, but I found that quite a challenge. So I did, and during the course of the year, I managed by God's grace to empty the box Sometimes it led to a short conversation, sometimes it led to a long conversation, sometimes it was just a matter of, thanks for this, how about I give you this? This is the book that changed my life and in it you'll meet the person of Jesus. I wonder if I could give it to you and, and just encourage you to read it. That's all it took. Do you know I got every one of them out? Do you know how many times I got rejected? I prayed first, dear Lord, please give me an opportunity today to share your word with somebody. Do you know how many times I got rejected? Once. Now that's quite an easy sell and you're giving the living word of God with the prayerful undertaking. And I prayed for those people with whom I shared God's precious word. Challenge to me as I reflected on this, this year, uh, just this week as I was preparing, uh, when I had, that was some time ago, maybe it's time to do this again. Maybe it's time to foster this as a regular habit. If you're not confident in sharing your story, can I commend to you Talking Faith that Langdon's running in a little while? It's a course that helps us think about how to share our testimony. 
Um, even in the introductory pastoral care course run by Anglicare, there's an opportunity to understand ways in which to, in a pastorally appropriate way, share your relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. In, in our midst, we have our very own Steve Abbott, who's written Everyday Evangelism. He's written the book on it. Can I encourage you to have a chat with Steve? I've dropped you in, mate, sorry. Have a chat with Steve. See if you can use those resources. He runs a very fine course to help us. We have evangelism exposure. There are many different tools that we can use and commit to the Lord to share our story. And I wonder whether you, like me, need to repent. Because I have to say that sometimes in my heart, I feel a bit this way. Today it's Jesus for no one. Do you know what I mean? Wake up on the wrong side of bed, God gave me an opportunity to share something and I just withheld. Or maybe sometimes, a bit like me, you might find you need to recalibrate. That I find, oh, I'll share Jesus here because this is someone I really like. Or maybe somebody I feel comfortable enough to share and I don't really have to cross that discomfort boundary to get there. Because it seems to me that Jesus is for everyone. What heart surgery do I need God to do in me to share Jesus with everyone? You see, C.S. Lewis's inner ring idea means that all of us are inclined to self-interest. All of us are inclined to me-focus. And it is often the fear of rejection or exclusion that frequently drives our unwillingness to share Jesus. But the truth is, we're in. We're in the most wonderful inner ring ever because it's the inner circle which endures for eternity. And the thing about Jesus' family is everyone is invited. We're in the family of God and it's the most inclusive inner ring in history. The only obstacles to people is us. So what does order Jesus for everyone look like for you and for me? Brothers and sisters, I wonder whether we might take this challenge. Order Jesus only to me? Well, I think that smells of sin, doesn't it? And Jesus, God's son, died for our sin, and he's exalted, and he's given us a job to do, to share his love with others. And if we're fearful for self or I, we're left in sin, whereas if we have Jesus' heart for others, we find that we're walking the way of God in humility for the good of others as he came down for the good of others himself. And we recall that Jesus gave his all so that we might give all to Jesus. You know, the power of the gospel is such that it can break down any barrier. Have you re anybody read The Hiding Place by Corrie ten Boone? Can I encourage you to read it? It's an extraordinary biography. It tells the story of of uh, a lady who was a young girl <coughs> whose family were followers of Jesus and they used to hide during uh, the days of the oppression in the Second World War of Jewish people, Jewish families in, uh, in the hiding place in their house. And uh, very tragically, they got rounded up and her sister, Corrie Tempun's sister, Betsy, uh, was uh, murdered at uh, Ravensbrook camp. Many years later, she was at a meeting of believers in Jesus and there was the SS soldier who had been there at her sister's death at Ravensbrook. And the extraordinary thing in that moment is she saw his face, remembering, as she describes it, Betsy's pain-blanched face as she died. 
was that Jesus gave her the grace to extend her hand and shake the hand of this brother in the Lord, even after all he had done, because he recognized his sins forgiven and she recognized her sins forgiven. As I reflect on what's going on in Israel at the moment, it takes me back to 2018 when I was in Christchurch, Jerusalem, sat alongside Jews who trusted in Jesus as Messiah and Muslims who trusted in Isa as Al-Masi. There was, there was a, a, an Israeli Jewish man and, and a Palestinian Arab, uh, again an Israeli citizen, who together were running a business. Unthinkable that God would bring these people together. And yet, in common faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, they had been reconciled. Because Jesus truly is for everyone. Let's pray that by His grace, He would enable us to have the heart surgery He wants us to have, that we would open our arms to everyone, that nobody would be excluded for His glory. Let's pray together. Father God, we want to thank You for Your grace to us. We want to thank You that Jesus humbled Himself to come into this world, God and man, to lay down His life on a cross for our sins. May it never be, Father God. Give us spirits of repentance. Give us an attitude of recalibration that we might be willing that we might be overjoyed to share the love that you've lavished upon us in him with all who would listen. Would you give us courage to share our faith, even with those whom we might consider to be unsavable, even those perhaps who have hurt us, even those perhaps for whom we just feel so disconnected and so unlikely. Would you spur us on by your spirit to be willing to share the life-giving hope in the words of the gospel through our testimony and through your word? Have mercy, Father God, that Jesus indeed would be for everyone. Order Jesus, Father God, we pray. Order Jesus, we surrender. Make us, Savior, holy thine. Let us feel your Holy Spirit and know that you are ours. We surrender all, Lord Jesus. Amen. Thank you.